You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, if you're new with us this morning, we're in a series called The Book, where we're going through the books of the Bible. We started in September, and uh, there's some weeks where we're doubling up on books, and other weeks where we're just doing one book, and uh, we should finish, I think, in around September of this, this year, 2021, but we're, uh, we're, we're getting there. We're in Ezekiel this morning. We'll, we'll turn there in a minute, but uh, I want to begin by pointing something out to you. In 2019, the Barner Research Group uh, did a study and found that half Again, half of 18 to 38-year-olds said it was wrong to share your faith with someone who doesn't believe what you believe in hopes that they would then believe what you believe. Does that make sense? So half of millennials, half of 18 to 38-year-olds said it's wrong, not like they're hesitant, but they said it's flat out wrong to share your faith with someone in hopes. And these are, by the way, I should point out, these were Christians, well, like self-professed Christians. So not just all millennials, but professing Christian millennials said it was wrong to share your faith with someone in hopes they would believe what you believe. And then for, I guess would be uh, Gen X, so 39 to 56 year olds, 30%, so not a whole lot better, 30% said the same, that it would be wrong to share your faith with someone in hopes that they would then believe what you believe. No, I don't know, like if we took a poll in this room, I, if I'm honest, I, I think we could do better than that. I think more of us, or say it this way, less of us would say that. I think the majority of us would probably say, no, I think it's right, it's appropriate to share your faith with others. But the reality is, if we took a poll of who's actually doing that, actively trying to make disciples, actively trying to have gospel conversations, the, lem- the number would be really, really low, right? Does that make sense? Whatever the reason might be that we would give for why we don't do that. I had a professor in seminary, Dr. Johnny, um, who had gone to LSU, if you're not sure that, go Tigers, right, Coach O, right? Um, got to LSU during his college days for his undergrad, and he was in a fraternity there, I don't know which one, but he told us a story about how in this fraternity, he, he was a solid believer. He, he did not engage in some of the immoral behavior that was going on on the college scene there at LSU. He, he stuck to his faith. He wasn't really actively sharing the gospel, but he wasn't doing the things that you're not supposed to do, like, you know, kind of stereotype things. And he also was trying to, to still go to church, read his Bible, those sorts of things. Well, I guess about halfway through... Uh, I can't remember which year it was, it was college, it doesn't matter. Anyways, while I was in college, um, one of his fraternity brothers became a Christian, came to the Lord. Well, Johnny, my professor, found out that his brother in the frat had become a Christian. And so he went to him and was like, man, I don't know what his friend's name was, but we'll call him Bob. Like, Bob, man, I'm so pumped for you. I'm excited for you. You became a Christian, man. That is, that is so awesome. And Bob looked at him and said, wait, wait, wait a minute, Johnny. You, you knew? And Johnny was like, what do you mean I knew? He was like, you knew that apart from the grace of Jesus Christ in my life, me receiving that by faith, you knew that I would spend eternity away from God in a place called hell? And Johnny said, 
yeah. And Bob, as we're calling him, said, and you didn't tell me? Man, we, we can be brothers together, but you, you knew that? We do life together all the time. Like we're, we're, we go to class together sometimes. We're in the fraternity house together. And you, you never told me? Remember Dr. Johnny sharing in class with us and saying, and that moment changed his life forever. That one little moment. From that moment, him and Bob uh, began to share Christ with their fraternity and, and saw a lot of guys come to know the Lord because they made it a point to share the gospel. He, had a, this, he felt this personal responsibility at that moment of like, man, I can't sit on this. So a question I want us to consider this morning is, what Johnny felt when Bob asked him that question of you knew and you didn't say anything? Like what, when Johnny felt that conviction, should all believers feel that same conviction of personal responsibility to share the gospel? When I say share the gospel, I mean to tell others of the good news of Jesus Christ, which begins with the fact that you're a sinner, that I'm a sinner, that I have rebelled against God, turned my back on him, chosen what is evil and wrong instead of choosing God, or I've worshiped the things of this earth over God. But in spite of that, even though I deserve hell and damnation, Jesus Christ left heaven's throne, came to this earth and paid the price for my sins. He died on a cross, fully bearing the weight of all of our sin. And three days later, praise the Lord, he got up, rose again, and because he got up, he offers me salvation and forgiveness and hope and new life in him and to live forever with him. That's the gospel, amen? In a nutshell. So in the question, do believers, every believer, do we have the same personal responsibility? Are we expected to share the gospel? Should we feel this weight of personal responsibility? Now, our, our journey, I'm using that word intentionally this morning, our kind of journey through scripture this morning begins in the book of Ezekiel, maybe to your surprise. Turn to Ezekiel chapter three. And again, like I've said with this series several times, if you need to use your table of contents, there is no judgment. <laughs> Ezekiel chapter three. <clears throat> We're gonna begin in verse 16. Verse 16, chapter three. Now at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. So this is Ezekiel speaking. Or he's the one that's saying the, the word of the Lord came to him. Verse 17, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity. But... His blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity. But you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because you have not warned him. He shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. 
But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. So God's saying to Ezekiel, like a watchman that warns a city of coming uh, destruction, I want you to warn the people of Israel. So if you know the context of Ezekiel, which are one sheets that are available back at the Welcome Center or uh, from your door greeter, really helpful with context. But they had rebelled against God, kind of the common theme in the Old Testament. And there was coming judgment for them. And so God's telling Ezekiel, like a watchman warns a city, I want you to warn my people so they can turn and repent. And he says, if you warn them and they repent, awesome. Good for them good for you. If you warn them and they don't repent, they're still responsible for their own sin. But he says, also, their blood is on your hands because you did not warn them. The coming judgment. Now, turn to chapter 33 of Ezekiel. God, again, is gonna give Ezekiel kind of this picture, this metaphor that is to be taken very literally. (laughs) The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them away, That person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Then he explains it. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Very common theme there to chapter three, right? Ezekiel, if you warn them and they, whatever they do is on them, but you've, you've freed yourself, so to speak, because you've done your job. But Ezekiel, if you don't warn them, when I've told you to warn them of the coming judgment and that there could be hope if they'll repent and turn to me, or there is hope if they'll repent and turn to me, if you don't warn them, yes, they're still responsible for what they did, but also there's guilt on your hands because you didn't warn them. You know, there's kind of a parallel to what Ezekiel was facing and then in our world today, meaning the people around Ezekiel's life, so Ezekiel's a God follower, he's following the Lord, and those around him are not following the Lord, and he's given the task of, hey, judgment's coming. You're already under judgment and condemnation, but you could turn to the Lord and there could be healing and 
forgiveness if you repent and turn to him. There's hope if you'll do that. It's parallel for us today that as Christ followers, those in the world around us, many of them not seeking the Lord, not following Jesus, and judgment is coming for them. As we studied in Isaiah, one day Jesus is coming again. If you're not covered in his blood, the blood shed on the cross, then he will be covered in your blood at the day of judgment, to put it bluntly. Similar parallel. So the, again, the question was, is there a personal responsibility for believers to share the gospel? Is that same weight that was on Johnny? And actually now we see on Ezekiel, is that same weight on believers today? Now I know, I know what y'all are thinking because you guys are very intelligent. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. You are. You have been equipped with how to study the Bible and so I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Hey, bro, listen, uh, you need to keep that verse in context, okay? And I would say, you are right. You, you can't just pull out Ezekiel's situation in the Old Testament with Israel. You can't just pull that out and automatically apply to us today, Brandon. It's not the exact same. And I would say, you are so right. Your preaching pastor in the venue must do a really good job to equip you. Just kidding. <laughs> Great Sunday school teachers. What if that theme in Ezekiel, what if that personal responsibility, what if that theme for believers was carried into the New Testament? That'd be a game changer, wouldn't it? That you're, as a follower of Christ, you're personally responsible for sharing the gospel. Like it's expected of you. Not that it determines if you go to hell or not, but that there's gonna be to use the phrase from the Bible. There'll be blood on your hands. You'll be guilty if you don't share the gospel. That would be a game changer if we could find that in the New Testament. Are you willing to go on a hunt with me? All right. (laughs) I love hunting in skinny jeans. All right. Just kidding. Gotta make fun of yourself. Okay. Let's go hunting. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. You know this passage but knowing it and living it are different things. Matthew 28. Do you feel me get lighter as we go to the New Testament where I'm more comfortable? (laughs) Matthew 28. Twenty-eight, verse 18. Jesus, he's already died on the cross, rose again, standing before the disciples. Some of his final words, he says, it says, verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's got the power. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Fixing to go into heaven, ascend into heaven to the right hand of the Father, and he says, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna go and make disciples. If you came, if Lauren and I invited you over to to babysit our uh, now three-year-olds, and before we left the house, I said, hey, look, like, man, have fun. You can watch some TV. You can play in the backyard if it's not 16 degrees. You can go on a walk. You can do whatever you want. But here's the, here's, 
one thing you gotta do before we leave, here's what I want you to hear. You gotta feed my kids. They haven't had dinner. You gotta feed them. So Lauren and I, like we, what if we go to Alberon's? We did last night, so I'll Blake there. Go to Alberon's, I ate way too much. Still kind of feeling the effects of that right now. Anyways, we go to Alberon's, we come back. And I'm like, hey, how was it? Like, it was good, we had fun, we played, watched some uh, Super Wings, it was great. And I'm like, hey, what'd you have for dinner? And they're like, and, and you respond, you know what? We actually didn't eat dinner, but man, I, I looked in your pantry, there's some great stuff in there. We even, we even pulled out like, Smooth move by you guys, very millennial. You even have those organic animal crackers. Way to go. We don't actually. Like, yeah, we, we got those out and me and Haddon and Carolina Tate, we read over those ingredients and we thought about what those ingredients mean and how those ingredients could impact our life. And I'll be like, but did you eat the crackers? <laughs> how many of us, Jesus, we will stand before him and give an account for our lives. And he's gonna be like, man, he already knows, but just play along for a second. He's like, man, how did making disciples go? That was the big thing, like not the great suggestion, but the great commandment. How did that go? And we're like, oh, Jesus, man, we studied that verse and we talked about the impact it would have. And you're like, and then Jesus responds, well, how did it go? And you're like, oh, but we read over it so thoroughly. We studied it verse by verse. I even knew the Greek, which I don't know the Greek. <laughs> and he would go, but did you do it? <laughs> Did you actually go make disciples? Maybe you're not convinced. Let's keep hunting. Turn to Acts. Yeah, Acts. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Paul was fixing to, to leave from Ephesus and he's, he's kind of giving a farewell to the Ephesian church, to the elders, to the leaders there. And... Uh, talking about what God's done there and even what God's gonna do in his life as he leaves. Look at verse 25 of chapter 20. Paul talking to the Ephesians. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So he says, this is it. Won't see each other till heaven. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Why? For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So even here in the New Testament, Paul telling the leaders at Ephesus, hey, I'm innocent of your blood. Your blood is not on my hands. I'm, I'm not guilty. It's up to you that you respond to God's truth. I've given it to you. Now it's up to you. Paul felt, a, felt and knew a personal responsibility, a personal weight and expectation from the Lord for him to share the gospel, to tell others the whole counsel of God, not just God loves you and he has a plan for you, which is true, but also that if you don't turn to him for salvation, you will go to hell because of your sin. So he told him the whole counsel of God. He says, now I'm innocent of your blood. He said, well, that, that, that was Paul. Okay, turn to Romans. just a little bit over, Romans chapter 10. Paul here writing and talking about salvation going to the ends of earth, the ends of the earth and all hearing the gospel, Israel, Gentiles. Verse 14 of chapter 10. How then Will they call, I'm gonna actually back up just for the sake of it, verse 13. 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. <laughs> Verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So how can they call on him for salvation when they will be saved? They will, will for sure be saved if they call on him. But how can they call on him if they have not believed? And then he asks another question. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? That seems like a fair question. How are they gonna believe if they never heard the name of Jesus? He has another question. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So they, they can't call on him if they don't believe and they don't, can't believe if they don't hear the gospel and they can't hear the gospel if someone doesn't preach. And you're like, all right, perfect, there's my out. I'm not a preacher. <laughs> False. Preacher here is not like, I'm a paid pastor around the church. No, preacher, someone simply who proclaims the truth. Aha, you can't be a preacher. <laughs> how can they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Again, Paul rallying the troops. How are they gonna believe in Christ if they don't hear of him? And how are they gonna hear of him if you don't tell them? That old, um, oh gosh, I wasn't thinking about saying this, but now it's in my head. Uh, it's typically, some say uh, Francis of Assisi said this, but um, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Like, that's cute but that's misleading. Preach the gospel, preaching the gospel, it's always necessary to use words. You can't be nice enough for someone to believe in Jesus. Does that make sense? Now your niceness can impact what they feel about Jesus for sure. If you're going around like preaching the gospel and throwing Bibles at people and flicking people off, like there's some mixed signals there, right? <laughs> that's like when people are like jerks on the road. I'm like, can you take the Jesus fish off the back of your car? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's not helping the situation here. I totally forgot what I was about to say. <laughs> Where was I going with that? Uh, say it again. You have to use yeah, thank you. Yes. Wow. Sarah, let's, yeah, get you a raise or whatever you do, okay? <laughs> um, yeah, you have to use words. It's always necessary, right? Otherwise, they, just, they could think you're just a nice person. I've met plenty of nice Mormons, Muslims, Buddhists. Actually, I've not met many Buddhists, but Hindus. It doesn't help proclaim the gospel. You gotta use your mouth. Let's keep hunting. I don't know if you're convinced yet. Turn to 1 Peter chapter two, more to the right. You got Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. If you get to 2 Peter, you know you went too far. <laughs> Very good observation. 1 Peter chapter two. Verse nine. I love to hear the pages turning, I really do. It makes me happy. Or see the thumb scrolling, also amazing. <laughs> chapter two, verse nine. Peter talking to believers. 
This is a believer, it's for you. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That, so he, he saved you, he, so God saved you, made you a people, called you his own, brought you into the family of God, that you may proclaim, there's the idea of preaching again, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter's saying, look, God saved you. You've received mercy. You've been made the people of God. You've been brought out of darkness into light so that you can tell others how amazing God is. So this is important. Sharing the gospel is not just browbeating people and telling them they're terrible and holding up signs that make them feel guilty. No, sharing the gospel is pointing out their sin, but also inviting them to a new reality in Jesus Christ. That sounds, I didn't mean it sounds weird. Like, but inviting them to a new life, which is a new reality, in Jesus Christ, to be part of the family of God. That's why it's good news, amen? If we're just going around telling people, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, there's no hope, that's not good news. <laughs> that's, that's watching the news. <laughs> good news is, yeah, you're a sinner, but even though you're broken and flawed, Jesus died for you, and you can receive mercy if you turn to him. It's the best news ever, amen? One final shot on this hunt. Backwards to Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Philippians chapter one, we're gonna start in verse 12. Now, again, you guys are good Bible students. Where was Paul when he wrote the letter to Philippi? In prison. That context helps as we read verse 12 and on. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So he said, my imprisonment has actually helped further the gospel. Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So people are hearing about Jesus. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he's saying, man, those who don't know Christ are hearing about Jesus and believers are now becoming even more bold to share the gospel because I'm in prison. Now, if you, verse uh, 18, I love it. He ends it with basically saying like, as long as Christ is proclaimed, that's what matters to me. As I've already hinted at, it would be easy for us to stop there and say, well, that's Paul, man. He was like passionate about the Lord and his, the expectations for him as an apostle were a little different than us. Okay, and like, yeah, we're not apostles, we're disciples. But if you keep reading, you're gonna find something interesting. Verse 27 of chapter one. By the way, I'd love for you to read all the way, all of chapter one later to get full context, but for time, I'm gonna jump to verse 27. Paul talking to the Philippian believers. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit 
with one mind, striving by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Here's key, last two verses. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. You know what Paul's saying? He's encouraging them. He said, man, this is great. We're in this same struggle together because we share the same burden to share the gospel. He says, it's the same conflict. So he's not like, no, you guys, we're, we're different callings. No, we're all called to share the gospel. So, back to the beginning of the sermon, first question. Do believers today have a personal responsibility to tell others about Jesus? Yes. Absolutely. What Johnny felt at that fraternity and LSU, at LSU, a personal conviction of, man, I don't want another brother coming to me and saying, brother as in frat brother, I don't want another brother coming to me and saying, you knew, why didn't you tell me? I didn't share the gospel. We should feel that same tension in our heart. What Ezekiel felt of, man, if I don't share with them, their blood is on my hands. We should feel that same responsibility to tell others about Jesus, of the hope that they can have in him. Now you may say, yeah, but, like, but, but what if, man, what if I go to share it? What if they reject me? Hey, you're on something. Jesus said, hey, they're probably gonna hate you. And when they do hate you, just remember, they hated me, so we'll get along just fine. <laughs> and more than that, remember that Jesus faced complete rejection. Isaiah 53 says he was despised by us. Jesus was. He faced rejection so that we could experience reconciliation, coming into relationship with God. When you think about what Christ has done, what his rejection accomplished for your relationship with him, it should lead us to say, I can face a little rejection, it'll be okay. If you say, man, I just, I just don't know how to share the gospel, I'm not sure what that looks like. Y'all, we are the most resourced generation of Christians the world has ever known. So whose fault is it if you're like, I don't know how to share the gospel? Man, it's probably mine, it's probably yours. Not probably being too nice, it's your fault. <laughs> Like, there, man, go to, just to give you some quick ones, you don't wanna Google anything, you find weird stuff, but like, you go to crossway.com, lifeway.com, zondervan.com, go to the Southcrest website. Like, it's crazy, I don't know if y'all know this, you can, like, a great way to learn how to, to share the gospel, like, read the Bible. Like, seriously, ask God to give you boldness. You say, well, man, I'm, I'm just kinda scared. You know what, it's like all things in life. Of course you're scared at first. Of course you're scared. If you wait until you're not scared to share the gospel, you're never gonna share the gospel. It's like a guy asking a girl on a date, man, I'm just scared. Well, then you're, you're never gonna ask her. Just you gotta get over that, bro. Makes me think of um, Nick Ripkin in a book called The Insanity of God. He was interviewing a... Uh, believer from a persecuted, uh, where, a country where Christians are very persecuted, and the believer told Nick, he said, Nick, don't ever give up in freedom, talking about America, don't ever give up in freedom what we would never give up in persecution. Share 
the gospel. I think when it boils down to it, we have two problems. I think we have a love problem and we have a responsibility problem that keep us from sharing. There's an atheist named Sam Harris who wrote a book, it's probably 15 years old now, uh, called Letter to a Christian Nation. And in it, he basically says, if Christians really believe what they say they believe, then they will share the gospel or they're the most unloving people on earth. Because he's saying, if we really believe that those without Christ will go to hell, if we don't share that with them, man, we must hate people, right? Like if I, it's not, it's not, it's not. But if I knew the hallway out there was on fire and didn't tell you guys, how wrong of me, right? I, I don't think, I don't think in this room, it's not that, I don't think that we struggle with believing what the Bible says. I think it's just easy to be self-obsessed, talking about myself here too, rather than focus on others, which again is a love problem, right? To focus here rather than out there. Love will lead you to risk. Love always moves you to action. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he what? Gave, not so loved the world that he set up in heaven and was like, well, stinks to be them. No, he loved, so he gave. Love moves you to action. If we're not willing to risk, what does that say about the depth of our love? If we're not willing to face rejection and sharing the gospel with others, what does that say about the depth of our love for God and our love for other people? Love moves you to action, or action with your words. (laughs) Growing up, we lived real close to this massive swamp called the Okefenokee Swamp. Um, and it, really, it was a really cool place to go as a kid, but looking back, like, man, our parents were kind of brave because this swamp, like all swamps, is, was filled with alligators and moccasins. Like, you, you just, they're everywhere. It wasn't like, I hope we see one. Like, no, you're gonna see a bunch. <laughs> I remember uh, one year we went, several families from our church, and uh, the boat in front of us was the Connor family, and Katie Connor, who was probably, I, I don't know, seven or so at the time, uh, maybe, maybe even younger, fell out of the boat into the swamp. As soon as we heard the splash and the scream, like it, all of our hearts stopped. I was a little kid, but like scared us to death because we know, man, there's gators and there's moccasins everywhere. Well, about the time we can like turn our heads and really realize what's happened, Mike Connor, Katie's dad, had already jumped in the water and they were both already standing back in the boat just standing there frozen like what just happened. And we're, like, we're all like, Mr. Mike, you're the coolest person ever. That was awesome. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't even blink. Like, literally, like he, he risked a lot. You're jumping in the water with the alligators and the moccasins. We didn't ask this because it would have been foolish. If we would have said, Mike, man, how'd you jump? What led you to, to jump in so quickly and not even hesitate? He'd have been like, she's my daughter and I love her. <laughs> Don't ask stupid questions, Brandon. If you love, it'll move you to action. Some of us, some of you, some of me, we've been sitting on some conversations and relationships. One day I'm gonna share the gospel and it's been like seven years in the making. Maybe it's time to start have that conversation. Go for it. 
So we have two problems that I think are boils down to. We have a love problem and we have a responsibility problem. It's too easy to say, ah, oh, man, like, let them come to church and hear the gospel. Maybe, maybe they'll hear it on the radio, which all those things are true. But we always wanna shirk, I think it's the right word, like push off responsibility here when we, I think, hopefully clearly saw, clearly saw on our hunt that you have a personal responsibility to share the gospel. God is inviting us this morning to quit pushing off responsibility and start owning up and manning up, womaning up, if that's a word, to the responsibility he's given us to share the gospel where we're at. Man, I don't, this is not exactly how it goes, but I don't wanna get to heaven and God look and say, man, like, who was responsible in Lubbock? Like, y'all kind of dropped the ball there. Hey, where, where were the Christians at, at Coronado? Like, man, why didn't I share the gospel more? Where were the believers in the banking industry in Lubbock? Like, man, you had so many opportunities. Like, why didn't you lean into that a little more? Man, all of my folks in, in ag down in Lubbock, like so many people that maybe thought they were kind of a good old boy gonna get into heaven but never heard the true gospel truth. Man, why didn't you share that with them? We have responsibility. Now look, don't leave here doing one of two things. Don't leave here being overwhelmed and so you just freeze. Like, I have a responsibility. <sighs> and never share the gospel. Also, which that's probably what we're prone to. Some of you may, that's overwhelmed. Some of you may lean towards this side, overzealous, where you're gonna freak out and you feel like everybody you encounter, you're like, boom, do you know the gospel? All right, done, next conversation, boom, do you know the gospel? Let's go. And you're like, it's like, Whoa, like Jesus didn't tell the gospel to every single person he walked past, right? Like, breathe a little bit. Salvation rests in God's hands. He's sovereign. Somehow he manages this tension. If he's sovereign over salvation, calls people to himself, but also invites us to join in because we have responsibility. So don't, don't freeze. Don't freak out. Keep your eyes on him and watch this. We'll finish with this. Think of it like this. Jesus is the conductor of the symphony, the orchestra. I should've got with Jerry on how to do this for a second, but he's the author and the perfecter of faith. He calls people to himself, the Father. No one come to the Father unless he's called, right? So he's conducting salvation. But all the while, sit in the orchestra pit, believers who he's inviting to play their part. Because the reality is, maybe some of you play the strings really well. Just stick with the metaphor, right? You play the strings really well and there's people in the world that they need to hear the gospel through the ear of the strings because I'm a drummer and maybe they hate the drums. Maybe they come and sit in here on a Sunday and it does not resonate with them at all. But you as a string player in God's orchestra, man, they hear the gospel so clearly through you. Pick up your bow, play your part. Some of you are in the brass section. We're my brass section over here. And God's leading and conducting. He's inviting you to play your part. If you don't play your part, will that section of the world that you live in and play for 
Will they get to hear the gospel as clearly as they should? Yes, we still trust the master conductor. He's calling people to himself, but he's inviting you as a believer to play your part in the song of salvation. Play your part. As the worship team comes, would y'all just stand with me, everybody? We're not gonna get too weird here, don't worry. (laughs) Would you just, uh, if you feel comfortable, would you just, if you're a Christian, um, would you just hold your hands out like this for a second? And just ask God to help you love people like he loves people and that it would move you to action? Would you ask God that he would help you to quit shirking off responsibility and to play your part in whatever role you're in, not to, not to be overwhelmed, not to be overzealous and freak out, but just to play your part as he's leading and guiding you to share the gospel with others? Make that your prayer right now. Believers, I'm gonna let you pray while I keep talking. Some of you are here this morning and, and you realize maybe you've not played your part because you've never actually known the love of Christ yourself. This morning, know that Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I were meant to live but can never live and died the death that you and I deserve. He paid the price for your sins. And he rose again three days later and because of that offers you forgiveness and hope and life and purpose. If you'll repent from your sin and turn and place your faith in him, by grace, you will be saved. As we sing this song, I'm gonna have a couple uh, pastors down front. Tony will be down front and Jack will be down front. And as we sing this song, if you don't know Christ, I'm gonna challenge you to be bold enough as God draws you to himself to walk down and talk to one of these men. Or maybe, I'm not gonna make assumptions here, maybe even as a believer, you just want some prayer or have a question about the church or what it means to share your faith. Man, maybe I'd love for you to, I would, not maybe, I would love for you to meet one of these men down here also and just pray with them and talk with them. So quit worrying about what people are gonna think if you come. Man, just, we're gonna be excited if we see you talking to one of these guys and, See what God's doing in your life. Let me pray for us and then we're gonna sing and respond. God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for calling us to yourself as believers, inviting us to be on this journey with you, to share the good news with those we encounter, to reach out and seek out those who don't know you to intentionally build relationships for the purpose of sharing the gospel. Lord, in this moment, would you draw those who don't know you to yourself? As Jack and Tony are down front, Lord, would you just give them courage to come and and talk with you, talk with them about trusting you as Savior? Lord, as we sing this song, would you stir our hearts for you? It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 